When it comes to building a race car or a drift car, there's more to it than just getting the performance out of the car. And building a car that's got both form and function, in our opinion, is really important to focus on. And no one does that much better than Carl Thompson. We've previously featured his Quadrotor Turbo Toyota Aristo drift car. However, Carl sold that car off some time ago now to focus on his new challenge, which is this S15 drift car behind me. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes, we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech-filled interviews with some of the industry's most well-known figures and presented it in podcast format for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. So, Carl, let's start by talking about the elephant in the room. Uh, you were a rotary guy... <laughs> This has definitely not got a quad rotor in it. You've swapped to a mass motorsport LS-based engine. So can you tell us why you went away from the rotary? Uh, I think it was the, the biggest thing for me was mainly the parts, you know, sourcing the parts. If, you know, there's only one guy making cranks for rotaries, um, whereas there's 10, 20, 30 making them for V8. So it was mainly a off-the-shelf thing and also quality control, you know, knowing, knowing what you're buying, getting the best stuff and you know if someone says it, it'll be there in two weeks it'll be there in two weeks yeah I, th- I think that's, that's what did it for me yeah I think that's really important I mean it's one thing making the power and there's no doubt that your quad rotor turbo engine was making it the was power ridiculous it was ridiculous yeah. but uh yeah the the quad rotor was never an off-the-shelf motor you can't get the parts as you're saying yeah. and particularly if you want to be competitive in any form of motor racing you need to go to races go to rounds and be competitive yep. and to do that you obviously need the engine going so the LS market both in the US here as well as around the world is is really really busy lots of companies making some amazing parts so let's talk about the engine combination you're running can you talk us through what you've got in there sure so this one here is a gm block so it's cast iron so this is the lsx block yes lsx yep it's 450 cubes so it's got a four and an eight stroke in it 14 to 1 compression and we run the mass moses head which is a canted valve head uh tunnel ram and stuff as well yeah so just tell us briefly we'll come back to this but tell us briefly at the moment how much power is it producing uh it's about 825 at the tire on my main line so and that's not pushing timing and it's on C16 so it's not really the, obviously the best gas for it. Alright so I think the first thing the uh, LS uh, lovers out there watching this are going to be asking is why the necessity to go to an LSX cast block when uh, there's various examples of people pushing that sort of power if not more maybe with turbo applications uh, on the stock alloy block. Reliability, um, you know obviously everyone has their own thought train and I can't knock that but for me personally I've seen you know, faults with the aluminium blocks and it was just a, a matter of, you know, centre mains getting beaten up and having to line hone them too much and yeah, it was that's more so the change, you know, just I just want that strength. I want to be able to beat on it all season and not have that problem, you know. Now a couple of other things that really come down to the reliability there. This isn't a Dino Queen, it's not a street cruiser, it is being beaten on as you say in competition Correct. hard and it's spending a lot of time on the limiter or thereabouts. And uh, you've got that long stroke, you said four and a quarter inch? Yeah, four and an eighth. So four and an eighth. And yeah. uh, and on top of that you've also spinning this to fairly high RPM. Yep. So that's really one of the things that's going to start hurting engines, high yeah. RPM, a lot of Correct. rotating mass and, and a long stroke. Hence the cast block, you know, yeah, we, we see with the big stroke in the L- aluminium blocks they really start to get a hammering 
And what, what RPM do you limit this to? Um, it was 9, now then 87, and now I'm sort of trying to keep it around 85. So rev limit's 87, but I never really want to beat it on that. I would try and have it around 85, you know? Yeah. Now, the other thing I want to talk about is, in a previous guise, you are actually running a pro charger uh, for forced induction. Now, yeah. Have you gone away from that? So I'm interested yeah. to get your take on the, the turbo supercharger and naturally aspirated sort of, where, where's your head at with that? Um, so, yeah, obviously been a bit spoiled for being able to try everything, but um, I think for me the pro charger was just a little too cluttered. It's only a small car, it's not big. Uh, we had to have a big intercooler in the front. Air temperature was an issue, um, even with E85. So there was just a few little things which were kind of downsides. Uh, I can't put a front sway bar through it. Um, and it just kind of put me off, and then realistically, um, it just didn't need it. Like, it was excessive. So that, that's an aspect that's important to mention. Power isn't everything. So often we see people chasing after more and more power. That's yeah. great to a point. But we're sort of starting to see a situation uh, in Formula D in the US as well as our local drifting in New Zealand that that power level has kind of plateaued a little bit. So where, yeah. where do you sort of see the, the happy place for power to be? Uh, I think it's all tyre related and chassis related. So for our rule book in New Zealand, I think like 850 at the tyre is gnarly. And the dudes that do have genuine 850, you can tell. Their cars are real grunty. I think up here, 9, 9.50 a tonne, you know, at the wheels, that's sort of what you need for like a 295.40. But, um, yeah, again, it really does depend because a lot of people say they've got power and they don't. We all know it. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, you can cheat dyno figures, but uh, you can't cheat the performance when you're Correct. out on track. Yeah, exactly. Now, the other thing, we were talking a little bit off camera there before about the power band that a pro charger delivers. So, I mean, without getting too bogged down in details, centrifugal superchargers essentially belt-driven turbo and you're getting a boost curve that increases with RPM relatively linearly. So, you yeah. sort of end up with a lot of the power happening at high RPM. How how's that affect you for drifting? It wasn't ideal. And it's kind of something which you would need nitrous for, either that or upping the compression and then not turning the blower so hard so you obviously have a little bit of a punch. Um, and that's what I kind of didn't like about it. Um, I, I, to be honest, I didn't really spend enough time on it to sort of perfect it because this, was for me, was kind of the easy way out. And I love the sound of NA, you know. Um, I, I drove that Pro Charge thing quite a bit, testing. Um, and, yeah, it come on boost and it was too much. It was just a wheel speed thing, you know, like... As soon as it would come on, it'd be too much, and then prior to that, you were having to slip the clutch too much. So, um, for me, these things here are just—they're the one. Yeah. All right, in terms of the rest of that engine package, it's one thing making the power; it's another thing uh, keeping it reliable. We talked about that to a degree. Uh, the other aspect I want to touch on is the lubrication system, because you've gone all out here as well, yep. as with every aspect of the car. Can you talk us through the lubrication? Uh, so, with obviously dry sump system and that, I deal with Bill at Daily Engineering. So, obviously, he's clued up to the days with the oil systems uh, him and Tony Marsh so um, yeah I run all daily sump pan pump uh, I run a six stage with a vacuum scavenge onto the cover and then I run uh, dash 16 plus sizes times two back to the tank so obviously it's, it breathes real well you know so you're actually running two scavenge lines all the way back to the sump to uh, re returns yeah so it's double the size of what the average one is he did that especially for me but when he designed all that for me it was actually for the aluminium blocks so now we've gone to the cast now I actually have to run a vacuum regulator because if I don't this thing will pull 30 inches of vacuum Let's talk about that because a lot of people miss this aspect of a dry sump system. It's one thing to, to make sure you've got the reliable supply of high pressure oil, which is the main driver behind the dry sump. But the other aspect, because you're scavenging uh, all of the oil and combustion blow-by out of the crankcase, you can end up pulling a negative pressure.
pressure or vacuum in there. But uh, it's not a case of more is better, and you do need to manage that. So yeah. what happens if you've got too much vacuum in the sump? Oh, you'll probably run pins dry. So yeah. basically sucking the lubrication out of the wrist pins yeah. and the pistons? Yeah, even camshaft. Um, we just had a problem with that. I don't know if it's vacuum related. Um, it could be. So I'm actually going to pull some more out of it. Um, so I would probably say that I'm on the higher side for vacuum for the type of application that I'm in. Where, whereabouts are you in that uh, vacuum? 15 inches. So obviously for like an endurance style engine I think that's quite high whereas uh, drag racing probably not at all. I know NASCAR run pretty much perfect vacuum like 20 three or two or something. Oh, there's a lot obviously that goes into optimising the engine around that yeah. dry sump system. Well it makes a lot of power, like you can see it, it'll pick up 30 horsepower just off vacuum, so it's, um, it's a big thing. And the other aspect that's nice with the daily engineering product is it is integrated, you don't have uh, a lot of work to do mounting an external pump, that's all integrated no in the sump. There's no work to do, I mean I'll call up Bill and order three sumps at a time, they turn up, they're all the same, they're interchangeable and this is how, it's how and that, that Sort of goes back to the whole four-rotor thing and the, and the change there. Like, if I wanted to do that for my four-rotors, I would have had to do that myself. Whereas it takes many, many people to run a program. So if you can buy something, you know, obviously people like doing it themselves, but generally if you can buy something from someone that's in bloody good at what they do, well, it's the way to roll. No need to reinvent the wheel in that instance. True story. All right, so in terms of the, the rest of the car, obviously we've got that engine, but... It needs to be managed somehow, and uh, particularly when you're looking at 850-odd wheel horsepower, you want to make sure that that is all accurate in terms of the ignition timing and the fueling. So what is the electronics package you've got in there? Uh, so I run a GPA uh, M130 Motec and a PDM30, and uh, then I've got the um, AFR4 Mtron boxes or can ones for the um, Lambas. Alright, so let's break that down for a start. So the M130, that's the ECU and control yep. of the engine itself. So you're running GPA, that's a specific package of basically how it this runs the, the engine. General, general package, yep. So nothing particularly tricky there, off the shelf stuff. Yep. Now the interesting thing I did want to touch on there because we can see them uh, in the exhaust primaries there, you've got individual cylinder lambda sensors. Now this is something we don't see too often and you said that's going through the Mtron canter lambda controllers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reason that I did that is because prior I had the EGTs and uh, to be honest, like I know, I know they can be accurate if people use them correctly and stuff. But you know, the probes would constantly get stuck. We're pulling headers off, and then if you have them in too deep, they wouldn't work properly. And there was just some sort of consistency issues there. And then obviously, there's nothing better than a Lambda and a cylinder, so we went down that route. Yeah, often we see people using EGT because up until probably a few years ago, it was significantly cheaper than individual cylinder Lambda. But in the end, you're using the EGT to kind of. Uh, decide on what the, the individual air fuel ratio is, so if you can measure it directly then great. I'm interested to know uh, what sort of variation are you seeing with this tunnel ram intake system? Um, it's really uh, due to the butterflies, like because they're a progressive butterfly you'll have four of the butterflies opening over certain cylinders, so that around 5000 RPM when it's coming on the cam and then also the throttle uh, blades opening, that's where a lot of the differences is, so cylinder to cylinder you're seeing some pretty big differences actually, not small. And again, that, that's so important because if we're monitoring the air fuel ratio back in the collector, you're getting the average of all the cylinders. So sure. that's not a problem maybe on a street engine, but particularly as you start leaning on the engine, making more sure. more power, you want to make sure that's that's all on point. Yeah. Now, in terms of a driver display, you've got the Motec dash in there. Uh, what are you using on that? What are you actually physically looking at? Uh, so I actually, um, I have a talented guy back in New Zealand, uh, Nigel Hugavine, he works for Elliot, so he does all my configs. And... Um, far out, I've got everything on that dash, every scroll it's got everything, I know what everything's drawing, open circuits, 
the lot. It's it's great. So that's with a display creator, which basically allows yeah. you the flexibility to write your own diff- different pages. Correct. But the thing is, well, and we've seen this from some of your in-car, uh, that's all well and good while you're sitting in line waiting for a run, but realistically, you don't have time to look at your PDM current draw Correct. while you're uh, while you're initiating a drift yeah. at 200 kilometres an hour. So you're really just looking at uh, sort of gear and uh, shift yeah, lights. Yeah, so basically I just I have a button that I push, goes into, I just call it like drift mode or whatever, so then that just gives me my gear that I'm in and um, rev limit, and then uh, I have those um, lights, the different coloured lights set at different RPMs, so I can. it's almost a little bit like a judge of speed, um, and then um, obviously I have my alarms, but as you know sometimes if they're a certain type of alarm I don't really listen, I just keep going. Just try and get rid of them real fast. Seems like you're pretty much like every driver I know in that instance. Yeah. Anything, anytime yeah. there's an alarm, as long as the car's going, reset and foot yeah. flat. The only one I look out for is oil. Yeah, if I see oil, she's all over, but anything else, I just, yeah, hard up it. Do you want to take your car knowledge game to the next level? Join us in the next free lesson at hpacademy.com free and start developing your own skills today. All right, let's cover off the rest of the drivetrain there. So can you tell us what the gearbox is behind this? Uh, yeah, so Hollinger gearbox and then all Tilton products um, forward from there. So I run, this one's got a triple plate carbon in it, um, Tilton rear mount, bow housing, i got that big starter motor in it. Uh, just tried to stick with one good brand, you know, so then everything's easy off the shelf as we know. Same, same as you've seen. Same, man, same, same. Um, and then obviously Hollinger look after me, so yeah, I run Hollingers and everything. And um, obviously with the Motec and the closed loop shift cart, I feel that they just... Uh, yeah, match made, you know. So that's actually something I wanted to get into there. You've obviously just answered the question yeah. was, uh, do you use a, a flat shift or a clutchless oh, yeah. shifting? So basically, once you're off the line there, you're just pulling through the gear. So Correct. strain gauge gear lever so the ECU knows when you're pulling the gear lever back. Yes, yes. Um, however, I don't use it when I'm actually drifting. So what I actually use it for is just out the box stuff, drag racing starts. Um, I feel like if you were to try and do it under load when the wheels are spinning, you ain't going to last, you know, you're going to start wrecking stuff. So I sort of, um, yeah, I clutch, I clutch shift mid-corner and um, when I'm rolling on the power in drift. Um, but, yeah, the lead-up to the initiation is all closed loop, yeah. And still cable throttle on this particular engine? Yes, it is, yeah. And that's mainly due to throttle body sizing. Like, e-throttle stuff's kind of, you're kind of limited to sizing. So, um, yeah, something, something I haven't played with, but maybe in the future. Probably a little challenging to adapt a, a drive-by-wire throttle given the, the intake system you're, you're currently running anyway, so yeah. maybe something to look at in the future, as you yeah. say. And moving back finally to, to that differential, uh, what are you running there? Generic stuff, winters, yeah. So yep. Pretty much the same as every drift car now? Yeah, we run a 35-spine axle and we get the Vasco Max lower shaft made for it, so they're, they're not the off-the-shelf one, but yeah, just the generic stuff and YSAB suspension and the rest of it, so yeah. Look, um, amazing build, Carl. It's a shame that we had to chase you all across to the other side of the world in, in order to film a tech tour, but we appreciate your time. Thanks yeah, for giving man. us the inside scoop there. Yeah, likewise, man. Awesome. Cheers. If you like that video, make sure you give it a thumbs up. And if you're not already a subscriber, make sure you're subscribed. We release a new video every week. And if you like free stuff, we've got a great deal for you. Click the link in the description to claim your free spot to our next live lesson. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. 
All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe. It's a one-stop shop when it comes to automotive education that's perfect if you want to learn how to make your car go faster, stop quicker and handle better.